All right, guys, let me just tell you something that the same way that you were wired or that you were geared, the way that you were made to want food and to want water, you were made to want freedom. And, you know, uh, God knows that. God understands that. We go back into the book of Genesis, and then we look at Exodus, where the children of Israel are coming out of captivity. It was, the, it was in their slavery. It was in that, that place of slavery that they began to cry out to God. And, and the Scripture says that God heard their, their mourning. Uh, it was not just the punishment that they were receiving as being slaves, although God is a compassionate God. God saw that these people were in slavery and sent them a deliverer through Moses. I want you to know that, that you know, uh, Moses delivered them physically from the land of Egypt, and in the same way, God sent his son Jesus to deliver us from the slavery of sin, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about, you know, um, being free, being free, to, you know, having freedom in our lives. Let me give you a couple of quotes about freedom. It's better to die fighting for freedom than to live life in chains. I don't know who said that. This next quote is from Gandhi. He says, freedom is not worth having if it does not include the freedom to make mistakes. Now, I'm going to tell you that that's what God allows you and I to do. He loves us enough to allow us to make mistakes. And so when we think about... Uh, you know, when we think about freedom, and, and I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures here just in a, in a second, but as we think about it, um, you know, as we think about just sin in our lives, and, and uh, you know, when we listen to the message of Jesus, if you go back to Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist is on the scene, he's baptizing, and he's giving this message that says, repent. Remember the religious leaders were coming out, coming, I mean, hundreds and thousands of people were coming out. But the religious leaders especially were coming out. And John seemed to have, and so did Jesus, an especially strong word for the religious leaders of the day. He says, repent, you know. Uh, he says, the, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he goes on to say, who warns you, you brood of vipers, to, to flee from the wrath to come? And so he's telling them, he's, he's speaking to these people and telling them, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, listen, if we think about that, this is kind of, a lot of this is from this uh, Freedom uh, Foundation, Freedom uh, Ministry that we've been listening to. Um, but if we think about that, and if you think about it, you know, it might sound like John is saying, repent, you guys need to get your act together, you need to straighten up and fly right, you know, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so then we try to straighten up and fly right, and then we don't. And we feel bad about not being able to do that because, I, you know, it's the Word of God. He's told us to fly right, and now we can't fly right. And so we go through this cycle of guilt and shame and condemnation, and then we try real hard, and we do well for a while, and then we stumble and then we fall. But let me just tell you, let me just kind of break this down for us a little bit this morning. John, you remember the, the whole story of John the Baptist, that his Mother and father, they were righteous people. When the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah in the temple, remember that he was doing his priestly duty, that the Bible speaks of his mom and dad as being righteous people. But John witnessed the meltdown of the priesthood during his time. It was kind of like coming to a head. 
where the priest and, the, and that, that, that system that God had intended to bring life and be good for the people was now bringing death. It was just like, remember how Jesus would talk to the religious leaders and he says, you know, you put these burdens on the people, you weigh them down with loads that you wouldn't even think about carrying. And, uh, you know, so John is saying to the religious leaders, you know, you, you brood of vipers, you need to bring forth fruit worthy of, of repentance. He was looking at their lives. He knew he was comparing his mom and dad and their godly life with the ungodly lives of those that were coming out. And so when, we, when, we, when you and I read that today, 2,000 years removed from that, we seem to think that, you know, that he's saying the same thing to us. You've got to get your act together. You better try real hard. We've got a bunch of rules and regulations, and if you don't do it, God is going to smack you, okay? Is, that, is this resonating with any of you guys? Because that is what we have been taught to believe. But Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do absolutely nothing apart from me. He said, and unless you abide in the vine, you know, that you can bear no fruit. He says, I'm the vine and you are the branches, and unless you abide in the vine, you won't be able to do anything. And so the issue is not us trying harder. The issue is, you know, that we need to abide in Christ. We need to yield our lives to him, to his Holy Spirit, and let his Holy Spirit have that perfect work in us. And we think about what Jesus did. When he came to the cross, we think about it in our minds. He went to the cross and he died a death for this whole laundry list of things that I've done. And you can write them down, adultery and fornication and pornography and lust and anger and greed and unforgiveness. And here's this whole list of things that I did that Jesus came to die for. And that, if that's the mindset that we have today, if that's the mindset that you have today, it is the wrong mindset. He didn't come to die for the long list of things that you've done. He came to die for you. He came to die for the death that is in you. He didn't come to just, you know, create a clean slate, although he does that. And he did come to die for our sins, but he came for more than that. He came to more than die for our sins. He came to die for the death that is in you. And we call that the great exchange when he went to the cross. He took his life, his righteousness, his great life, his sinless life, and we, he exchanged his life. The Bible says that he that knew no sin, talking about Jesus, he that knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God through him. All right, guys, are you with me this morning? Are we clicking okay? All right, I just want to make sure we're on the same track. All right, so there's something that's deep within us that just cries out for freedom, that we need freedom. And we see the message of Jesus in this first point that I want to make. I've got three points, going to move through it. I know you got barbecue to get to and uh, all kinds of, you know, Memorial Day things. By the way, our, we've got a, a, a large team down in Mexico right now ministering to the uh, orphanage down there and working this weekend. So be in prayer for them as they travel back this evening. Jesus came to proclaim freedom. The first message that Jesus proclaimed, this is in Luke chapter 4. And, and just when I talk about freedom, I'm talking about in our, our mind, our soul, which is our mind, our will, and our emotions, and our body, freedom in your body, um, freedom in your spirit. And listen to the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 4. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me 
because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor and he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so what he's saying is that when he showed up, he noticed that a lot of people were in bondage. And even though, you know, and we talk about, if we think about, you know, if you think about a prisoner, for example, we got, you know, I mean, every day it's in the news that we have more overcrowding in New Mexico prisons and jails than any other state in the nation right now. We've had federal judges order to, you know, to change this, to make this right. But when we think about it, if you think about freedom uh, of, of just being out of jail and away from the bars, you know, that's a wrong kind of thought concept of what freedom is. Because you need to think about what got that person behind the bars in the first place. What sent them to jail in the first place? That's where the problem lies. That's the rub right there. There's where the problem is. And Jesus is saying that that is the problem that I've come to fix, okay? Not just getting you out from behind the bars, but getting you from, you know, what caused you to get behind the bars in the first place. He says that he has come, or he has sent me, God the Father has sent the Son to proclaim freedom to the prisoners. Now let me just give you an example, a New Testament example of how this plays out. On the Sabbath, we talked about freedom, body, soul, and spirit. Okay, it so said on the Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. I think the, new, the King James translation says that she was bound by Satan for 18 years. She was in this prison. Her body was in this, this crippled, crumpled up, you know, just messed uh, for 18 years, bent over because of something that Satan had done. He had placed her in a body that was a prison to her. She was bent over and couldn't straighten up at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said, Woman, you were set free from your infirmity. And then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up, and she praised God. I want to tell you that that's one of the things that freedom will make you do. I mean, you get free. I mean, you just like, you don't care who's around. I mean, you've been driving down the street, and you got hands lifted up. You're praising God, and then all of a sudden you remember you're driving. Get your hands on the wheel. Stop and praise God. But I mean, seriously, you just get excited about God. You want to just praise God and thank God for all the good things that he's done in your life. That's what freedom, that's what real freedom is. Now, listen to this 2 Corinthians. It says that we think about, uh, you know, sometimes we think about freedom is, is not the absence of something in our life. We think, you know, if I could just get free from drugs, if I could just get free from alcohol, if I could just get free from the internet or pornography or any of these things, we think about, you know, if I could be absent from these things, but the Bible says that real freedom is not the absence of something. It says the real freedom is the presence of someone. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's what freedom is, is when Jesus comes into your life. It's not you fighting this battle and wearing yourself out and feeling guilty and condemned and, and shame and all of that stuff that goes through your mind. It's when Jesus shows up and you just say, Lord, I give it to you. I give this to you, Lord. I'm giving my, my frustration to you, my anger to you, my sin to you. I'm giving it to you, Lord. I'm going to stay connected to you. Remember what the Bible says in uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says, Seek first 
the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be given to you or added to you. And so if I am focusing on my anger or on my lust or on my greed or whatever, then what am I seeking first? I am seeking relief from my greed, my anger, my frustration. I, I put God second. I'm, it's like, God, I'm going to take care of this. And when I get this taken care of, I'm going to come back and, and you and I are going to have a relationship. And the Lord's saying, that's not the way it works. You know, you come to me. I, that's what I love about, you know, remember the Billy Graham, uh, that they played that song every day for every time they had a gathering for the last however long he's been ministering, 50 years, just as I am. Just as I am, I come just as I am. I come as a sinner. And Lord, I need your grace. I need your favor. I need your mercy in my life right now. I can't do it. That's what I'm saying. I can't do it, God, but you can. You are able. You are able to do this. All right, so, um, you know, and when, I, when we talk about freedom, I want you to hear this, that where there is freedom, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But when we have freedom in our, our life, we have real life. That's what life is about. In John chapter 1, it says, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. In him was life. And, and that fits very well with John 10.10. 10. He says, I have come to give you a bunch of rules and regulations. I have come to give you a bunch of laws. I have come to give you a bunch of do's and a bunch of don'ts is what I've come to do. But the word says that I have come to give you life. And if you tap into me, that all these things that you want out of your life, all of these bad things that are holding you back, he says, I'll give you life. And I'll take care of those things. And that's why when we think about when we think about the religious leaders and we think about, you know, just, you know, if I could just know more, if I knew more, if I knew more about the Bible, if I prayed more, if I was more serious about God, if I tried harder. But when we think about the religious leaders, the religious leaders of his day, it, you know, they knew the word. They knew the word of God. They just knew it and applied it wrongly. They knew so much of the Word of God that they did not recognize the Word of God when He showed up. As we think about, you know, that just uh, in, when, when we have the presence of God in our life, then that's when we really, when we really, really have life. I want to, uh, let me just go into this next, uh, this next point. And, uh, you know, every generation has had... Uh, either music or poems or movies about, about freedom. And let me just share one of uh, a song from our generation, at least my generation, uh, going way back, way, way, way back. I was just a child when this was. So cut the lights and uh, you guys just to listen to this. Sometimes I feel 
share with you. You know, Jesus wants us, not only has he come to proclaim freedom, but he has called us to live in freedom. He wants you to live in freedom daily. It says in uh, John chapter 8, verse 31, listen to this. It says, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold my teachings, you really are my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. We've never been a slave to anyone how can you say that we would be set free? Well, that statement alone is just, you know, outright a lie. They had been a slave to the Babylonians. They had been a slave to uh, the Assyrians. Uh, they, had, they were actually uh, in Roman control uh, at the very moment that saying that, making that statement. But Jesus replied to them, and he says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about, you know, I've come. I've come to give you life. I've come to proclaim freedom to you, not a bunch of rules and regulations. If you just stay connected to me, you're going to experience and see the freedom, freedom that God has for you. Now, let me, just, let me just explain to you what's going on here. You know, that God, when, when you were created, the Bible says that God, and this just blows my mind, but in Jeremiah chapter 1, the Bible says, God speaking to Jeremiah, he says, Jeremiah, I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. Now think about that for a minute. I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. And I have a plan and I have a purpose for you. And I want to just say that that is not a specific word to Jeremiah. That is a word for you as well, that God has a plan and a purpose for you. And God's plan and purpose for you is for you to enter the kingdom of God and experience this freedom. And, you know, how many of you, I, I think it's probably all happened to all of us, that you walk in a room, uh, and it could have been your house, your parents' house, or an office, or at the, at the job site, or someplace, you walk in. And man, there is tension in the air. You don't know what you walked into, but you walked into something. And I mean, it's just like, you know, you can feel it. You can sense it. Well, let me tell you what happens when a man or a woman of God walks in that room. You walk in full of the Spirit of God. 
Now, we know that the, the, the Bible talks about the characteristics of God, are love and joy and peace and goodness and gentleness and meekness and temperance. And, you know, as we think about, you know, the kingdom of God, I, I want you to think about that. I'm going to come back to that room in just a second. But I want you to think about this. Before there was you and before there was your parents and your grandparents and great-grandparents and before there was an Adam and an Eve, and before there was a creation of this earth, and before there was a creation of the sun and the moon and the stars, and before all of that, before there was a universe, going way back, okay? Okay. And there's just God. There's just God. What was that like? I mean, everything radiated love and joy and peace and gentleness and goodness and, and just all, every, just God just permeated the place. And so when Jesus says, repent and enter into the kingdom of God, not, you know, start do's and don'ts, but just get connected to me, the source of life, the author of life, the giver of life. He said, you get connected to me, and then my nature just kind of gets on you, that love and that joy and that peace. And you walk into that room where there's tension. You know what happens? If the kingdom of God, this is what God created you for. The kingdom of God begins to push back those forces of darkness, and then all of a sudden where there was tension, God has brought peace into the situation because he's brought you into the situation. Does that make sense? And that is God's plan for us in our lives is to take the kingdom of God, take God wherever we go, and let this dark world see, let darkness see the light, and let all of these people that are in these oppressive places that are in captivity right now, let them see you living in freedom, and they'll want this same freedom that you have. So if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. He says, offer yourselves, listen to this, not just the knowledge of the truth. As I said earlier, the Pharisees had the knowledge of the truth, but their lives, and John the Baptist, Jesus said about them, they were corrupt. They knew, the, they knew the word, they knew the law, but, you know, it was bringing, they were spreading death instead of spreading life. Every time that Jesus showed up and wanted to do something good, even that story that we just read about that woman being bent over for 18 years, the next thing that they say is, you did this on the Sabbath day. You broke the law. They could care less about that woman in the 18 years that she spent in, in, in the infirmity bound by Satan. You know, they were more concerned about Jesus breaking the law. Okay, so he says, listen to this in Romans chapter 6, uh, verse 16. And this is out of the message. This reads really well. He says, offer yourself to sin, for instance, and it's the last, it's your last free act. But offer yourselves to the ways of God. The, the freedom never quits. All your life, you've let sin tell you what to do. But thank God you started listening to a new master, one whose commands set you free to live openly in his freedom. I'm using this freedom language because it's an easy picture. You can readily recall, can't you, how at one time, the more you did just what you felt like doing, not caring about others, not caring about God, the worse your life became and the less freedom you had. And how much different is it now that you live in God's freedom? 
your, you, you, your lives healed, expansive in holiness. As long as you did what you felt like doing, ignoring God, you didn't have to bother with right thinking or right living or right anything for that matter. But do you call that a free life? What did you get out of it? Nothing you're proud of now. Where did, you, uh, where did it get you? A dead end. But now that you've found, now that you've found you don't have to listen to sin tell you what to do and have discovered the delight of listening to God telling you, what a surprise. A whole healed, put together life right now with more and more life on the way. Work hard for sin your whole life and your pension is death. But God's gift is real life, eternal life, delivered by Jesus, our master. Uh, the King James, and maybe your translation says that um, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. And so he's talking about this comparison of just this freedom that, that Jesus, once again, has is, is called us to live this free life. And just kind of in closing, great men, you know, we, that, that little um, video that we saw from the movie Glory, that was the first uh, all-black uh, uh, group of, of soldiers that went into battle in the Civil War. As a result of that, 180,000 more black men registered and signed up as a result of, uh, of, of the white soldiers and the white leaders being able to see what these black men could do and how they were determined to fight for their freedom, another 180,000 came in. But I want to just tell you that over and over, we look at heroes today. We, as we look back from the Civil War to modern day, you know, we look at the great lives of men and those that are crying out and leading the way in this charge for freedom are the ones that we honor and we hold up as heroes. Let me show you another little clip. I'm sure you'll recognize this uh, from the movie Braveheart. The prisoner wishes to say a word. just as easily said that instead of saying it is finished he could have said freedom for you and me I'm serious I am serious he could have just as easily said that hey I need to give a special thanks to all of the guys back in the sound booth this morning because I came at about 10 minutes till or 20 after 10 we started 10 30 and gave them all this stuff to download and these guys just aced it congratulations guys all right so let me just wrap this up um, in, in Galatians chapter 5, and Paul is talking about this. You know, I mean, Paul understood this, and it, it was just like, you know, remember when Paul 
uh, in, the, in the book of Acts, this, uh, this prophet Agabus comes up to Paul and he, you know, he takes this girdle and he kind of bind, binds himself with this girdle and he says, uh, the man that owns this girdle is going to be bound and, and, and be uh, led, led away into places that he doesn't want to go. And Paul says, you know, what do you mean to break my heart? You know, he says, I'm not only willing to be bound for the Lord Jesus, I am willing to give up my life for the Lord Jesus. And so Paul was well aware, he was well acquainted with both prison and, and freedom. In fact, in the, in the book of Philippians, very short book, but, uh, you know, in, in, the, in, the, in the short, I think it's four, four chapters there, or five chapters, that uh, 17 times Paul, writing from prison, by the way, had given up his freedom, 17 times he talks about the joy that he has in serving and believing and uh, uh, being a, a believer and a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and writing to those that he loved. He talked about this incredible joy that he has. He picks up again in Galatians chapter 5 talking about freedom, and he says that Christ has set us free to live a free life. So take your stand. Never again let anyone put a harness of slavery on you. I'm emphatic about this. The moment that any one of you submits to circumcision or any other rule-keeping system at the same moment, Christ's hard-won gift of freedom is squandered. I repeat my warning. The person who accepts the way of circumcision trades all the advantages of the free life in Christ for the obligations of the slave life of the law. I suspect you would never intend this, but this is what happens. When you attempt to live by your own religious plans and projects, you are cut off from Christ and you fall out of grace. And what he's saying is that you come to Jesus and you start thinking that you can do things. And let me just tell you that here in New Mexico, I mean, it just happened right around, around uh, you know, Easter time every year, you'll see hundreds and hundreds of people on the road marching up to Chamayo, thinking that, you know, that that work or that effort is going to get them more favor with God. And I want to just tell you that, I mean, I bless them. I love them. I'm not, criti I'm not being critical. All I'm saying is that there's not one thing that you can do to make God love you more or one more thing that you can do to please him. In fact, look at this, uh, this next uh, scripture right here in John chapter 6. It says this is some religious people that came up to Jesus and they said, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Do you see that that is inherent in us? That we want to work for God. We look at the cross and say, thank you, Jesus, that's good, but I got to do something now. You know, uh, I, I love the story about the guy that says, you know, that, you know, that, you know, you do your part and God's going to do his part. And I, the, the, I love the guy's response. He says that, you know what? My part was I did all the sinning, and God's part was he did all the forgiving, okay? And that's the way it is today. You know, we do all the sinning, God does all the forgiving. It says, what must we do to work the works that God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God. Listen to this, the work of God. You want to do the work of God? You got somebody in here that feels like you need to do the work of God? The work of God is this, to believe in the one that God has sent, and that's Jesus Christ. And then finally... It's uh, absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to and destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love, 
that has freedom. That's how freedom grows. For everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence. Love others as you would love yourself. That's an act of true freedom. If you bite and ravage each other, watch out. In no time at all, you will be annihilating each other. And uh, where will your precious freedom be then? My counsel is this. Listen to this. Live freely, animated, motivated by God's spirit. And then you won't feed the compulsions of selfishness. For there is a root of sinful self-interest in us that is at odds with a free spirit. It's just a battle that's going on within us. Just as the free spirit is incompatible with selfishness, these two ways of life are analytical. So... Uh, that you cannot live at, uh, at times one way and at times another ways according to how you feel on any given day. Why don't you choose to be led by the Spirit to escape the erratic compulsions of law-dominated existence? So what he's saying is that, uh, once again, if we just tap into the Spirit of God, Lord, these problems are bigger than I have. I can try hard. I can try to change my behavior, but I don't have a behavior problem. I have a death problem. I have death in me, and that death causes me to do the very things that I don't want to do, the things that I know that displeases God. So it's not changing my behavior that's going to please God. It's not you changing your behavior that's going to please God. It's when we come in and we tap into the very source of life, and Jesus begins to you know, lead us and guide us and direct us and begin to change us. That's what we call... Uh, that that theological word transformation it's the transforming of our lives let me just kind of close with this we talk about great men of God and probably one of the, the great men of, of, of our generation one of the great freedom fighters was Martin Luther King and Martin Luther King wrote this this is called uh, the letters from the Birmingham jail this is Birmingham Alabama this is written on uh, April the 16th, 1963. He was at, assassinated sh uh, five short years later, April the 4th, 1948, in Memphis, uh, in 1968, I'm sorry, uh, in Memphis, Tennessee. And he says, uh, while confined here at the Birmingham City Jail, I came across your recent statement. He's writing to those that were followers of his, uh, calling my present activities unwise and un untimely. Seldom do I pause to answer criticism of my work and ideas. If I sought to answer all the criticism that crosses my desk, my secretaries would have little time for anything else other than such correspondence in the course of the day, and I would have no time for constructive work. But since I feel that you are men of, uh, that are genuinely good or of goodwill, and that your criticisms are sincerely set forth, I want to try to answer your statement in what I hope will be patient and reasonable terms. And this is the beginning of his letter. And I'm just going to quote it just like he writes it, okay? And this is just an excerpt from that. He's talking about freedom again. Remember that, you know, this is a great civil rights movement in the 60s and uh, 50s and 60s. And he was a great leader of that. But he goes, I'm going to just quote. He says, oppressed people cannot remain oppressed forever. Remember I was just saying that within you. There's something within you that has to, this is the way that God wired us, that we have to have freedom. Oppressed people cannot remain oppressed forever. Forever, The yearning of freedom eventually manifests itself, and that is what has happened to, a, to the American Negro. Something within him has reminded him of his birthright of freedom. Something without 
uh, has reminded him that uh, it can be gained. Consciously or unconsciously, he has been caught up of the, and this word, I had to look it up this morning, it's spelled Z-E-I-T-G-E-I-S-T, and I think it's pronounced Zeitgeist. Uh, it's a German word, but what it means is the spirit of the time, the general trend or the thought or the feeling during that particular day or that time. And that was the feeling of or the freedom that black people should be free. And with his black brothers of Africa, his brown and yellow brothers of Asia, South America, the Caribbean, the United States Negroes moving with a sense of great urgency toward the promised land of racial justice. If one recognizes this uh, vital urge that has engulfed the Negro community, one should readily understand why public demonstrations are taking place. The Negro has many pent-up resentments and latent frustrations. He must release them. So let him march. Let him make prayer pilgrimages to City Hall. Let him go on freedom rides and try to understand that why he must do so. If his repressed emotions are not released in nonviolent ways, they will seek expressions through violence. This is not a threat, but it's a fact of history. So I have not said to my people, get rid of your discontent. Rather, I've tried to say that this, this is normal and a healthy discontent can be channeled into create, creative outlets of nonviolent direct action. And now this approach is being uh, termed extremist. Um, I though, or I thought, but though I was initially disappointed at being categorized as an, ex uh, as an extremist, I continued to think about the matter. I gradually gained a measure of satisfaction from the label. Was not Jesus an extremist for love? Love your enemies. Bless those that curse you. Do good to those that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Was not Amos an extremist for justice? Let justice roll down like water and righteousness, like an ever-flowing stream. Was not Paul an extremist for the Christian gospel? I bear in my bodies the mark of the Lord Jesus. Was not Martin Luther an extremist? Uh, here I stand. I cannot do otherwise, so help me God. And John Bunyan... I will stay in jail to the end of my days before I make a butchery of my conscience. And Abraham Lincoln, this nation cannot survive half slave and half free. And Thomas Jefferson, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. So the question is not whether we will be extremists, but what kind of extremists will we be? Will we be, will we be extremists for hate or for love? Will we be extremists for the per preservation of injustice or for the extension of justice? In that dramatic scene on Calvary's Hill, three men were crucified. We must never forget that all three were crucified for the same crime, the crime of extremism. Two were extremists for immorality and thus fell below their environment. The other, Jesus Christ, was an extremist for love. Truth and goodness thereby rose above his environment, perhaps the South, the nations, and the world are in dire need of a creative extremist. Amen? Amen. I believe that's for us. I believe that God wants you to be an extremist for the kingdom. And you can only be an extremist if you're living in freedom today. Won't you stand with me, please?